0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Praise the Lord. This morning we were talking about the reality of angels, fallen angels, the kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light and so forth. So I wanna go a little bit further tonight and uh, uh, just make some comments that I think would help, help round this, uh, this idea out. We found out, first of all, that Satan is real. Like I said, a lot of people in the world today and, and, and unfortunately, even a lot of Christians, if you start talking about a literal, actual devil a literal Satan, you know, people will mock uh, inside the church as well as outside the church. But, you know, in the, in it's, the Bible starts off, the very first chapter, I think it's verse number three, you know, or, or the, excuse me, the third chapter, uh, where the, the enemy came and identified himself. We see the serpent in the Bible. We see the tempter. So we see Satan at the very, very beginning, the Genesis story. And then we read over in Isaiah uh, where it talks about Lucifer falling from heaven. We read that this morning. We talked about the fact that Jesus made that comment. He said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And, uh, and then, of course, in Matthew chapter four, we have the story of Jesus's temptation where the devil came to him and tempted him. Remember that? Well, if Satan is not real, then who was Jesus talking to? <laughs> he was having a conversation with the devil. And the devil said, you know, if you're the son of God, then uh, command that these stones be made bread. And Jesus said, you know, he answered him with the word. That's how we answer the devil, is with the word. Every time he comes to us with a temptation, answer with the word. Don't try to outsmart the devil, just answer him with the word. What does the word say? You know, if people would answer with the word, it would solve everybody's problems. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. People will answer what they, what they want instead of what the Bible says. Amen. Well, glory to God. Answer with the word. We found out that there are good angels, God's angels, and we found out that there are wicked, fallen angels. Go with me again to Revelation chapter 12. Let's look at this passage again. We'll look at some others. Revelation chapter 12, beginning of verse 7. Revelation 12, 7 says that war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels. Now we found out from Jude, that book of Jude, that Michael is an archangel, one of God's warring angels. It says Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. Of course, the dragon's the devil. But they did not prevail. Aren't you glad they didn't? Amen, that is always the devil's story. When he tangles with God, he does not prevail. And when he tangles with me, he does not prevail. When he tangled with Jesus, he did not prevail. When he tangles with you, he does not prevail. If you answer by the word, he will not prevail. Says that he fought and that Michael and his angels fought and the devil and his angels did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. If you will withstand, stand against the devil with the word, you will, he will find no place in you any longer. Said there was no place found for them in heaven any longer. If you want the devil out of your life, you're gonna have to quit giving him opportunity in your life. That was such a good word, I'm gonna say it again. If you want the devil out of your life, you're gonna have to stop giving him opportunity in your life. Because if you open the door for him, he will come in. He has to be withstood, he has to be rejected, he has to be spoken to with the word of God, amen? Says that, so that great serpent was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So, well, why is the devil still around? Well, it tells us right here, this is where he was cast out to the earth. We saw this morning that this likely happened long before Adam ever came on the scene. And so the reason the devil is here and evil spirits are here is because they were here before we were, amen. And uh, we'll we'll talk about that as we go into it. Go with me over to Jude, the sixth chapter, the sixth verse of the general epistle of Jude. Jude, glory to God. We're establishing the fact that there are wicked fallen angels, Satan's angels. In verse number six, it says, the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode... He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Notice that there are angels who did not keep their proper domain, their place. They didn't stay in their place. They left their own abode. They left the place that they were supposed to stay in. And because of that, it says he has reserved them in everlasting chains. I just, as I started, I saw something that I forgot to do. Stand up, Paul, back there. Paul Morgan, new member. Praise the Lord. Amen. Good to have you. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. He's not here on Sunday mornings. That's normally when I uh, notify or recognize new members. He's not here in the auditorium. He's next door. So I missed that on Sunday night. So praise the Lord. We're glad to have him as a new member. Amen. The angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains. Ever, you don't want to be held in everlasting chains because they, they last forever. That's why they're called everlasting chains. Amen? Go with me over to 2 Peter, 2 Peter, and look at the second chapter, 2 Peter chapter two, verse number four. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, Evidently, that's talking about the same thing Jude was talking about. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. Now, the word hell here is not the ordinary word for hell in the New Testament. The most common or most ordinary word for hell in the New Testament is the Greek word Hades. It corresponds to the Old Testament word sheol in the Hebrew. It means the place of departed spirits. This is a different word. This is the word Tartarus. And so it's a special holding place. It's not Hades, it's another place. Uh, Generally, all of these places are, are, are hell. But here, this is a separate compartment in hell. You could say it that way. The angels who sinned. So there's a special place for these angels who sinned. And it says he cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains. Well, we just read that, didn't we? Chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And we saw that in, in, in uh, verse six, Jude, the, ever, the, the judgment to come. But then it gives us more context. It says he did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Something happened in Noah's day, wherein these angels sinned, and were reserved in everlasting chains of darkness awaiting the judgment of the great day, Jude verse six says. And so it happened in the days of Noah. Now it says in, in Jude that they did not keep their proper place and their proper abode, that they left the place that God had for them. Well, over in, in, the, in the sixth chapter, I think it's the sixth chapter of Genesis, this is the story, of, of uh, Noah and what happened his day. And it said in those days that uh, the men of the earth were very wicked. And it said that the sons of God came into the children of men. Many people believe that the sons of God, there is a reference to these fallen angels and that they actually came in and cohabitated. I understand that we have mixed crowd here this morning, so I'm trying not to uh, create a lot of questions for parents. And so they cohabitated and a race of, of uh, offspring resulted from this and those were the giants and the very wicked giants that existed in Noah's day. And if that's the case and if that's what this talk is talking about, you can see while the two things are, are uh, put here together. It says, he did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of ungodly uh, of the ungodly, verse six says, "And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes." Now this le- happened later. Sodom and Gomorrah came during the days of Abraham and Lot. Uh, you know, uh, after the days of Noah, but it turned. He said he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example of those who would. After, who afterward would live ungodly. And so the comparison there in in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah is what what we the the, the uh, habit and the practice of homosexuality. And because of that judgment came And it says in verse number seven that he delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawful deeds. I want you to notice that Lot was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked and that the older King James says that this righteous man was vexed. His righteous soul was vexed from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Uh, The the ungodly practice of homosexuality uh, has never changed in the eyes of God. Now, people today want to uh, excuse things and say, well, you know, that's just the way God made people. No, he didn't. I said, no, he didn't. And... It's very easy for Christians to yield to the spirit of this age and sort of go along with things and make excuses for things. And I even hear Christians sometimes talking about about other believers who speak out on these things and speak against these things that, that, that we're homophobic, that we need to learn to live and let live and let people do what they want to do. On the one hand, as far as laws are concerned, uh, you have to abide by the law. But Christians do not have to accept ungodliness as right. And if you are a genuine Christian, if you are a genuine born-again Christian with the life and the nature of God in you, your righteous soul will be vexed by these things. And if it doesn't vex you, if it doesn't, uh, like he said here, if, if you don't recognize it as filthy and wicked, if, if it doesn't, if something doesn't rise up in you against this, you are yielding to the spirit of this age. You are being converted by the spirit of this age. Now I don't advocate Christians going out and, and crusading on any item of moral conduct because it's, it, it takes us off of our message. Our message isn't against ungodliness. Our message is the grace and love and mercy of God for all sinners. That's our message. We preach redemption. We preach the blessing of God. We pres- We present the good news of Jesus Christ to save anybody. That's our message and it's careful that we not get off our message. But at the same time, That's one thing. Accepting and condoning sin is something entirely different. We have to stay on our message, but we do not have to condone sin. We don't have to accept it. We don't have to uh, uh, grow accustomed to it. We don't have to change our opinion and and sort of just, you know, uh, try to, to... to act like and talk like that every kind of immoral conduct in the world is just a-okay. It is not. Well, praise the Lord. Soapbox for tonight, I'll get back down off of it. But I hear Christians sometimes say, well, you know, preacher gets up and talks to them, talking about me. I've had it said about me. Well, you know, pastor's just homophobic. Well, the word phobic, that, that, that uh, suffix means I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of homosexuality. I'm not afraid of, of wild animals. I'm not afraid of snakes. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of what, what people say. I think they say what they want to. So it's not a matter of any kind of phobia. It's a matter of keeping the church pure. If the church starts thinking like the world and starts condoning what the world condones, what good are we? What gospel do we even have? Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Verse nine says, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Well, unfortunately, a day of judgment is coming. I said it is coming. Amen. People need to be aware of that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So we know that angels are real. We know that there are fallen angels. We talked this morning a little bit about demons. And so if you start talking about demons, you'll really get some weird looks. Like I said this morning, you men, if you go to the barber shop, just start a conversation about demons. And you'll find yourself in a chair by yourself and everybody gone you ladies go to the the hairdresser and uh, you start talking about, well, my pastor talked about demons and and you start talking about demons and you'll look around and the room will be empty. People will leave you alone because people don't like it. They don't like to talk about it. They think it's strange. But uh, Jesus cast out devils. Go with me to Matthew chapter four. That is demons. Really the proper word there is demons. Matthew chapter four. We've already talked about the fact that Jesus had a conversation with the devil. Well, if the devil is just the figment of somebody's imagination, then Jesus was just having a a conversation with nobody. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Verse 23, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, notice, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Go on over in Matthew to the eighth chapter and look at verse number 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, Now, I read in a commentary, actually more than one commentary, I've read it more than once. I read in commentaries where when it starts talking about these demons here, there's a note there, and it says, well, what this is talking about is back in biblical times, in the New Testament times, uh, there was a superstition. People had a superstition that some illnesses or some behaviors were caused by demons and it was just a superstition it was what people thought and that was that was offered in this commentary as an explanation to what Jesus was dealing with here well it goes on to say that he cast out these spirits with a word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses notice he cast out these spirits Well, they must not have been a figment of his imagination. It must not not have been just a superstition. Go on over to the ninth chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter nine. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. I think actually this might be one of the locations where where I found this note. This man was mute and demon-possessed. And the note said, well, people back then, there was a superstition, super, superstitious belief that certain things like this were caused by evil spirits. Well, if it was just a superstition, Jesus got dubbed, duped. Is that he you say that? He got duped. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. The multitude marveled saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. So Jesus cast this demon out of this man. Well, if it was a if it was just a superstition, then Jesus was taken in by superstition. If he was taken in by superstition, I don't want to follow him. If he was taken in by superstition, then he was deceived, and he's not the truth. But he was not deceived, he is the truth, he is the way, he is the life, he is the Son of God. And and when he cast this spirit out of this man, it's, it's because this spirit existed. The man was demon possessed, and Jesus cast the spirit out of him. Go with me over to Luke's gospel. We just want to look at some examples of this. Luke chapter 4, and look at verse number 33. Now, in the synagogue, Luke 4 33, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. In other words, he had an unclean spirit, a demon in him, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, demons do know certain things. I said demons know certain things. They're not all-knowing and the devil's not all-knowing, but they know certain things. The reason they know certain things is they've been around a long time. And, uh, and we'll see more along that line in a minute. But uh, they said, "You know, did you come to destroy us?" Jesus rebuked him, saying, "Shut up and come out of him." It says now, it says, "Be quiet" in my Bible, but if this was what he literally what he said was, "Shut up." Well, it's not polite to say, "Shut up." You don't you're not polite to the devil. You don't show him any kind of, of, of courtesy or regard. Jesus said, "Shut up and come out of him." And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So we see here that if demons weren't real, then Jesus was duped by them and he was deceived by this superstition, but no, they are real, and Jesus dealt with them. Not only did Jesus deal with them, go over to, back to Matthew's gospel, go back to Matthew 10, Matthew 10, and look at verse number one. Jesus told his disciples to deal with demons. Matthew 10:1, and when he had called his 12 disciples to them, he gave them, a, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. And it says in verse number eight, he said, verse number seven, as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So we see here that that Jesus' followers, and this would apply to believers today, are commanded to cast out demons. Are you still with me? Amen. Go back to Matthew chapter eight again. Matthew chapter eight, and let's look at verse number 28. When he had come to the other side to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from from them was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished into the water. Now you notice here that these uh, these evil spirits who were in this man uh, cried out. He evidently used his voice, this man's voice and spoke out, and said, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Well, there must be a time, uh, a sign for their torment or else what was the reference to? What, did you come here to torment us before the time? So this, this, this indicates that even though the demons were talking, notice they got who Jesus was right, Say, well, you can't trust anything demons say. Well, that's not necessarily the truth. They knew who Jesus was. They knew he was the son of God. They recognized him, isn't that right? And they said, have you come here to torment us before the time? So this suggests to us that there is a time that had not yet come. The time was not then. They said, if you cast us out, cast us into the swine. And Jesus gave them permission to go into the swine, didn't he? Isn't that right? Go over to Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. In the fifth chapter of Mark, in verse number one says, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now the difference between these two stories is in Matthew, it talks about two men. In this story, it talks about one. Now the explanation of that could be that this is the same incident it says the Gergesenes and then it says Gadarene uh, or Gadara. It could be the same place and the same instance and it could have been that there was two of them but one of them did all the talking. And so in Matthew's gospel, it talked about the two but in Mark's gospel, he just focused on the one that did the talking. Or it could be a completely separate situation. My opinion, frankly, has has vacillated over the years. Sometimes I look at it and I'm kind of persuaded that this was two completely different situations and other times I get back and I say, no, it's too similar. The similarities are too much. It must be one and the same. But honestly, I don't know. And I'll add this comment, neither do you. (laughs) When he had come out of the tombs, immediately there met him out of the, when he came out of the boat, excuse me, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. What a sad and tragic picture. I tell you, the devil is mean. He's mean. And if you want, if you want to yield to temptations and yield to the devil when he tempts you and with wrong thoughts, if you wanna to yield to those things, this is where he wants to take you. This is this is where that temptation that seems so pleasant and so uh, uh, pleasurable and so tempting and so like it, just be all right. Just understand this is where the devil would like to take you. This is who you're dealing with. And... Uh, <clears throat> He was, he was in the mountains and in the tombs day and night crying out, cutting himself with stone. People who cut themselves are being influenced by demons. I said people who cut themselves are being influenced by demons. Amen. It's not a game. It's not normal. And Jesus saw him from afar. When Jesus saw him from afar, verse number six, he, he, this man ran and worshiped Jesus. Jesus. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you, that means I beg you by God that you do not torment me. Now, hold your place there and go back, are we in Mark? Go back to, go back to Luke's, or go over to Luke's version of this. Uh, no, excuse me, go back to Matthew. Go back to Matthew. He said, did you come to torment me? Notice what he said in Matthew before the time. Remember that? He said, did you come to torment us before the time? So that's that was left out of this particular story. But what's, what is added here, it says that G- he, Jesus said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now we're back over in Mark. The, the, the man in whom the unclean spirits was, these the, the spirits uh, spoke to him. And so Jesus asked him, what is your name? And this man answered and said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them, these evil spirits, out of the country. Now notice in Matthew, he said, do not torment us before the time And here, he begged Jesus not to send them out of the country. These evil spirits wanted to stay in the geographic area they were in. Now, evil spirits, the reason they're still here, did you know the same evil spirits that were there that day that Jesus cast out, they're still there? Over in Israel, over in that geographic area, those, that legion, and, and all the other spirits that were with him, they're all still there. It's because spirits never die. Spirits are, are in a class of creation like God. God is a spirit, angels of spirit. You and I have been created in God's image and likeness. We are spirit beings. And because of that, there's an eternal nature that's in the spirit of men. And you will never die. Now, your body will die If Jesus doesn't come back first, your body will die, but your body will be raised back up. Your spirit never dies. Your spirit will live eternally. Angels will live eternally. Satan will live eternally. These demon spirits live eternally. there will always be somewhere. Now, it's interesting that these demons said they begged him not to cast them out of the country. Now, that tells me that demon spirits are associated with certain geographic locations. Wouldn't that suggest that to you? They didn't wanna leave where they were, their country, their, in other words, their, their uh, area where they live. Well, why would that be? Why would evil spirits like a particular area? I mean, they're just spirits. They could go anywhere. But they don't wanna go anywhere. They wanna stay... That again, just adds a little more weight to the proposition that I mentioned this morning that these evil spirits have been around a long time and that they were here possibly before Adam was. And they, the reason they wanna stay where they are is because that's where they've always been. You know, you like to stay where you are, that right? People like to stay where they are. Now, people do move, but I guarantee you this. The older in life you get, the less you want to move. People have a problem sometimes relocating their parents up to where they live because they can't understand why their parents don't want to move. It'd be so much better for you to be up here with us. We could take care of you. You don't understand. They've always lived there. Their history is there. Their memories are there. Their family What's left of them are there. The the few remaining friends are there, but they're tied to those places. And so it's very hard for people to leave. You ought to have some compassion on your aging parents. (laughs) Amen. These evil spirits begged him not to send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine, verse 11 says, was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. There were about 2000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and were drowned in the sea. We won't read the rest of this, but uh, you know, even, even pigs have more sense than to wanna be inhabited by demons. That ought to tell us something. Even these, even these swine knew that it's not good to have demons in them. And yet people will live like that. It's a sad thing, but it's true. Amen. Uh, go over to Luke. Look at the eighth chapter of Luke. And look at verse 31. Here's the same account. In verse 31 says, they begged Jesus that he would not command them to go out into the abyss—it's just another word for outer darkness. You could say hell. They begged Jesus not to command them to go to hell, to go into the abyss. People have asked that question before. They said, "Well, why, you know, why didn't Jesus? Why did these? Why did Jesus give uh, these demons permission to go into the swine? Why didn't he just cast them into hell?" Well, you know, if he could have, he would have. I said, if he could have, he would have. There'd be no reason not to. I mean, he's right there and they're talking to him. He's confronting them. If it was possible to get rid of them, he would have gotten rid of them. But they didn't know that he couldn't cast them into the abyss, but evidently they did know there was a time for their judgment and they reminded him, did you come to torment us before the time? Then they said, don't cast us out of the country. Don't cast us into the abyss. So that again gives support to the idea that these, that these demon spirits have been here a long time and that they evidently have the right to be here. And the reason they would have the right to be here is they were here first. But we won't go into any further uh, explanation of that. Go with me over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We have some very important information here about demons. Matthew chapter 12. And let's look at verse number 40. Three, Jesus said when an unclean spirit goes out of a man he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none then he says I will return to my house from which I came and when he comes he finds it empty swept and put in order then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself And they enter and dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than the first. This is really important. When evil spirits, when when they're cast out, they wander about, it says here, Jesus, Jesus said this. He said when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. This is what I was talking about this morning. It seems that demon spirits uh, are different from angels in the sense that they crave embodiment. Jesus said here, they go through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. And then this evil spirit says, I will return to my house. He's talking about that man that he came out of. He called him my house. I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds the, man's, the man empty, swept, and put in order. In other words, religion. And then he goes and takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. This, is, this shows us that demons wanna get in people. They crave embodiment because there's no way for them, they don't find rest. They're they're not at rest, they're not at ease, they're not satisfied until they can get into people. That's why evil spirits are always trying to make suggestions to to believers as well as unbelievers because they wanna have influence in your life. Amen. And you can't give place to the devil. Because he's an opportunist. Evil spirits are opportunists. They will will seize on every opportunity. Now it says here that they go through dry places seeking rest and finding none. We know that their first choice is to go into human beings. But on second choice, they'll go into animals. Animals. Now, all of my life, I had heard that evil spirits will go into people or they'll go into animals, but they won't go into anything else. But uh, the Bible doesn't say they won't go into anything else. It just doesn't, the Bible doesn't talk about them going into any other uh, home or host other than humans or people. The Bible doesn't talk about it, but it doesn't say one way or the other. Pastor Ange and I had, a, had an experience a number of years ago. We were in a, in a meeting where Dad Hagan was preaching a, a minister's conference. It was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we were there at the minister's conference. There were you know, a couple thousand preachers there. Brother Hagen was conducting the, Kenneth E. Hagen was conducting the minister's conference. And after the, the conference was over, uh, the next night, the, the pastor of the host church, Philip Jackson was the pastor, still is the pastor, and uh, the night after, I think it was a Thursday night, did the meeting get over on Thursday night? Well, Dad Hagin's birthday was either just coming up or it just passed, it was, it was real soon. And so the Jacksons had planned a, birth, a surprise birthday party for Dad Hagin at their house on Friday night. The minister's conference was up over on Thursday, most people left town. Well, we got a note, Pastor Ange and I got a note, an invitation to stay over if we wanted to and attend this birthday party. It was a surprise birthday party for Brother Hagan So we stayed over. It was at the Jackson's home. It was a fun event. Brother Hagan didn't know about it. We all were hidden, you know, in different rooms of the house. We had to park somewhere else, you know, and so they brought dad Hagen over, you know, dad and mom over for dinner, you know, uh, uh, evidently, you know, supposedly. He walks in the door. Everybody shouts surprise. It was, it was great fun. So we got our picture taken. How old were we back then? What, what year was that? About 1990. Yeah, so we were in our in our early late thirties, I guess we were in our late thirties, and uh, we had we had dinner out by the pool. They had a real nice black tie kind of affair with the servers. We weren't dressed in black tie, no, no, none of the guests were, but the servers were all dressed up real nice by the pool. It was all candle lit, you know, had a nice uh, uh, party, and we all got to you know say something to Brother Hagen. And so uh, after it was all over, everybody came inside. People started leaving about nine o'clock. You know, people started leaving. Well, one thing I had learned about Brother Hagin, I didn't know him very well, but one thing I knew is don't leave until Brother Hagin leaves because he has a habit of kind of talking for a while and then and begins to minister to people by the spirit and you just wanna be there when that happens. So we kept hanging around, kept hanging around. A lot of people had left and I don't know, there was probably maybe 80 people at this party or how many, there was a, you remember, it was 100 people there. Most everybody had left. There was probably how many people? Less than 20 people left, guests. And we were in the living room and somebody came in the living room and Dad Hagen was in the back uh, of the in the kitchen. They had this, uh, the Jackson's kitchen. They had a, a good-sized kitchen, but they had a small breakfast nook right there in the kitchen. And it was just big enough for a little dinette table, probably seat six people, you know, real kind of cramped. And... Dad was sitting, I don't remember where mom was, but dad was sitting there and he was at the head of the table kind of in the back of that nook and several people were sitting around the table and he he was talking and he started teaching by telling stories and giving examples of things that had happened. So somebody came and stuck their head in the living room and said, you guys need to get in the kitchen and and hear what's going on. So Angela and I went in there. There was no place to sit. There was a chest freezer just, just on the other side of the bar, you know, the kitchen bar, under that was a chest freezer, and that was the only place to sit. So Angela and I sat on the we just jumped up and sat on that chest freezer. And Dad Hagen was at the end of the we were sitting like here, looking at Dad Hagen. He was at the end of this of this little dinette table, and we were looking this way. Now, I won't go into all the things he was teaching and, and sharing, you know, about his experiences in the spirit. It was really very interesting and interesting. And then uh, he said, let's pray. He said, I have to pray. And I have to pray now. So we all begin to pray. And a real spirit of, fear, of, of, of prayer fell on us. And so we were all praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit. And dad started, dad Hagen started interpreting his tongues and he would pray a little bit in the spirit and then he would interpret his tongues and he'd pray in the spirit and then he would interpret. And in, by interpretation, he prayed out the next, what, four or five years of his traveling ministry. He prayed out by interpretation in English which town he would go to, what church, who the pastor was, and he said, I'm well, gonna leave there. He'd pray in tongues again, and he said, now after that, you know, I'll go to such and such a place. He prayed out his itinerary in other tongues and then gave the interpretation of it. And, uh, and so we, you know, we were praying along with him. We all had our eyes closed. And the strangest, things, the strangest thing happened. While he's praying in other tongues, I heard him say, dear God, what is that? And, you know, I opened my eyes and looked and he was sitting at, at the head of the table, no further than probably uh, Brother Rick over here, maybe a little closer than that to me. He was sitting at the, at the end of that table and he, and he was turned to his left like that. Now, the, the room in where this nook was was kind of small. The table was kind of crammed in there. And behind Brother Hagen in that corner a man had been standing there the whole time. I didn't know him. He was, was Pastor Stan Moore from Miami. How many of you went down to Brother Hagen when he had his meetings in Miami? You, you remember Stan Moore. I had never met Pastor Moore. I didn't even know he was a pastor. I didn't know who he was. I didn't meet him that night. So he had been standing in the corner. Dad Hagin was, was in front of him to his right. And, you know, it had gone on for a while. Praying and praying and, you know, sharing and things. And so Pastor Moore evidently had gotten tired. And so he kind of squatted down in the corner behind Brother Hagin, over Brother Hagin's left shoulder. And he wasn't wasn't sitting flat on the floor. He was just kind of squatting, you know, with his knees up, you know, and kind of against the wall. And all of a sudden I heard Dad Hagin say, Dear God, what is that? And I opened my eyes and looked and he was turning like, he had turned like this and he was looking down at Brother Stan and he said, what is that? He said, dear Lord, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. What is that? Just like that. That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. The thought occurred to me, well, that's a rude thing to say. (laughs) I mean, I didn't know the man. I, I didn't think he was the most handsome man in the world, but I wouldn't say he was the ugliest thing you've ever seen. I certainly wouldn't have called him out, you know. <laughs> Brother Hagan was looking and he said, dear God, what is that? He was kind of alarmed. That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And then what he saw, we found out later, we heard dad tell the story and we heard Pastor Moore tell the story more times than one. The the Moors if, if you went to their church, you remember that big parking lot out front, off to the side. They had bought that that adjacent land to their church and they needed to build a parking lot. And when they went, they bought it, they had it for a while, and when they decided to develop it, it had to be tested. The soil had to be tested. Well, when the EPA came in and tested it, somebody came in, they found out that the soil was contaminated. That it was full of creos creosote. Is that how you say that? Creosote. creosote. It was that. It's that stuff they used to put in in uh, uh, railroad ties and pressure-treated wood and all that's very toxic. Come to find out, we found out later. Pastor Moore found out that years and years and years before he bought that property, there was a creosote plant there, and they had dumped all of that toxin into the land they subsequently had torn down all the buildings just raised the ground and it had grown over and the evidently the people that originally had the property went out of business and whoever bought it after that there was nobody to sue because that corporation's defunct now and you know gone so anyway along the way pastor Moore unknowingly bought that property and now he can't develop it because it's full of all these toxins. When they started exploring, they started digging up, they found some old cars down there in the ground, engine blocks that were leaking oil. This had been going on for decades. The, the ground was a mess. The EPA in Washington got involved and they classified this particular property as what they called a Superfund site, which meant it was the highest classification of contamination. And the law read that whoever owned the property had to clean it up. Well, the the Moors, they didn't know it when they bought the property, but they owned it. So if they're gonna do anything with it, they've gotta clean this, and they need to develop it. You know, when you clean up something like that, they have to come in and dig all of that dirt out, take all of the stuff out. They have to truck it out. They have to wash the soil some kind of real uh, complicated uh, uh, system and, 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 and procedure where they cleanse the soil of all the toxins and then they bring it back and put it, it cost millions of dollars to do this. Well, how would you like to find out about that? Well, I don't know if Pastor Moore, I never found out if Pastor Moore had told Brother Hagen about this ahead of time or what, you know, about this, about this uh, problem they were having. But that night, what Brother Hagin later said and, and Pastor Moore later said was when, that when Dad Hagin was, was praying in the spirit, he suddenly saw into the spirit and he saw that demon in the ground at Brother Moore's church out in that vacant lot. Said he, this, this spirit was half in the ground and half out of the ground. And he said it, he was square looking, looked like a box. And he was, it was an evil spirit, and it was inhabiting that ground. And that's what Brother Hagan saw. He suddenly looked over and he saw that. He said, Dear God, what is that? I've never seen anything like that before. That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. He said it was a hideous-looking thing. Well, Brother Hagan just commanded it to come out. We were there. We were sitting right there. We heard it. So come out in Jesus' name. Come out of there. And then he turned around and went back to praying. We went praying in the Spirit, and we went back to praying in the Spirit, and we think, thinking, we have no idea what this was about. I'd always heard that demons only inhabit people or animals, but evidently this demon was in the ground. Brother Moore went home. Pastor Moore went home, called the EPA, asked them to come out and test his soil again. And they said, there's no need to do that. We've already done that. We know what we're dealing with. And Pastor Moore prevailed somehow and got them to come back out. He said, why do you want us to come back out? He said, you just come back out. Something's happened. I'll tell you after you get here. So they came and they tested the soil and the soil was clean. I have heard Pastor Moore in his congregation, not somewhere else, but I've heard him in his church in Miami where that happened around all the witnesses who were present and knew about it. Give that testimony, I've heard it more than once, several times. He said, they tested the soil and the soil was completely clean. And they called him back and they said, Pastor Moore, what, Reverend Moore, what has happened? How did you clean your, your, the soil? And so, Pastor Moore just told him the story. So I was in Charlotte, uh, Charlotte North Carolina <laughs> and a prophet named Kenneth Hagin cast the devil out of the ground. And the EPA guy says, do what? <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't, we don't believe in that kind of stuff. We don't know anything about that in Pastor Moore's Well, I'm just telling you, that's all we did. We didn't do anything. A prophet named Kenneth Hagin cast the devil out of the ground and now the soil's clean, you tell me. So they went ahead and built on it. Pastor Moore told us later, he said, it wasn't but a year or two later, he got another call one day from the EPA in Washington. And they called him up and they said, Pastor Moore. Yes, this is, this is Reverend Moore. He said, uh, we remember what happened, you know, at your, at your church down there. And he said, this guy said, what I'm calling about, he says, is we have another property <laughs> somewhere else in the country. He said, it's got the same situation. Here. He said, do you think you could talk that prophet into coming up there and doing the same thing that he did And Pastor Moore said, no, 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 that's not the way that works. You know, it doesn't work that way, I'm sorry. But that's that's absolutely a, a true story. So, you know, evil spirits are real, but so is casting them out real. It belongs to every believer. Any Christian has the authority to cast out devils. Just because these things are real, just because they exist, is no reason to be fearful. Now, when evil spirits come out of somebody, they don't go into Christians. Are you listening to me? I, I remember as a young boy, I went to youth camp and I, I must have been around 10 or 11 years old. I don't remember, I was around that age. And I remember one night after we had had the service, church service, we were back in our dormitories and we got word that there was a a camp, you know, a camper there, uh, one of the young people there who had a demon and all of the preachers were around that demon trying to cast it out. Well, you don't try to cast out demons. You cast them out. You don't play around. You don't try it. You just do it. And if you don't believe it, then you're gonna be at a loss, amen, because the devil will just laugh at you. But I remember that night in my dormitory, all of us little kids, we were just almost shaking because the thought that came to me, if they cast that demon out, suppose he's gonna come over here? Suppose he's gonna come into my dormitory? He might get into me. I remember being afraid, being afraid. There's no reason to fear. Christians cannot have demons in their spirit. Christians cannot become demon-possessed. For one reason is when you were born again, you were reborn, your spirit was recreated by God, but not just a new creature, a new creation in union with Christ. You were created in union with Christ Jesus. A Christian belongs to Christ and is part of Christ. Christ is no longer one person. Christ is the Lord Jesus is the head and we are the body of Christ. So Christ is made up of the head and the body and all of us are part of Christ. We are just as much a part of Christ as, as, as Christ is himself Christ. We're not the Lord Jesus, we're not the head. You understand what I'm saying? But we are members of Christ. That's why the apostle Paul, talking about fornication and adultery, he said, would I take the, 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 a member of Christ and join it to a harlot? God forbid, amen, serious stuff. So as a Christian, a Christian cannot have a demon spirit because if a demon got in your spirit, he'd be in Christ. And that just won't work, isn't that right? Besides that, Every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. When you were born again, the Holy Spirit moved in to you, to inside of your spirit, you are indwelt. It's not the same thing as being filled with the Spirit, but every Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside. Well, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's not gonna have, the, uh, have a demon as a, as a roommate, amen, taking up cohabitation in one person. That's just not gonna happen. So Christians cannot, demons cannot get into you and they have no authority to have any influence in your life. That's why we need to be in the habit of resisting every temptation of the devil. I said we need to be in the habit of resisting every temptation of the enemy. Because though, the de- though demons cannot get in your spirit, they can oppress your mind and your body. I said, they can't oppress your mind and your body if you yield to them. If you start thinking the devil's thoughts, he will take a place in your thinking. Evil spirits will will take up residence in your mind if you yield to them. And And the Bible tells us clearly what to do to keep that from happening. It's not hard at all. Resist him, resist his thoughts. The Bible tells us what to think on. Go over with me to uh, uh, Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter four. He tells us exactly what to think on. And if we'll do this, we won't have a problem with evil spirits oppressing our minds. Verse number eight says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, that means righteous, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. He tells us exactly what to think of. You can get into trouble when you start thinking the devil's thoughts. He starts coming to you with a suggestion. I don't care how, how minor it might be. If it doesn't meet the qualifications, you say, well, for instance, the devil might come to you and tell you something that somebody did. Well, you know, so and so, they, they're just such a bad person. They, they did this and they did that. Well, it might be true. It meets the first test, it's true, but it's not noble, it's not righteous, it's not lovely, it's not of good report, it's not praiseworthy, then don't be thinking about it. Amen. Don't submit your mind to the thoughts of the of the evil, don't submit to thoughts of darkness. Don't submit to anything that is not holy, righteous, pure, of good report, lovely. Well, you, you, there are not many things that that that, uh, out, that there's not really anything outside of God that would meet these requirements. What's he said? Keep your affection on things above. He said, don't let your affection go to things of this earth. Don't follow the things that 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 men follow down here? Keep your thoughts right and you'll stay right. Christians who get into trouble, who eventually backslide and fall away from God and, and end up with all kinds of bondages in their life, they do it by a degree, one step at a time. It didn't happen overnight. It started, it started with a thought that they shouldn't take. I knew, I knew he, he died a few years ago I knew a a pastor, he was a friend of ours, pastored a large church, growing church, 1,000, 1,500 people in his church, good pastor. He started thinking wrong thoughts. He and his wife started having marital problems. He started entertaining the wrong things. He eventually, he and his wife split up. They were divorced. Of course, he left the church got out of the ministry. The last years of his life, he was a bartender in, he, yeah, he, he opened a bar himself. He bought a, an establishment, opened a bar. He was a bartender in, where was that? Yeah, North Carolina, but it was South Carolina, wasn't it in, in uh, anyway, he at the beach, was at the beach. He opened a bar and was tending bar and and did that until he got back into fellowship with the Lord. Some friends of mine that knew him just basically went after him and sought him out. And he had, in his earlier days, he had uh, lived a very rough life. And we don't know if this was something that happened earlier or something that happened later, but he came down with hepatitis and died. Before he died, My friends, the people that I know, went to him and and prayed for him and got him back into fellowship with the Lord so he didn't die in that kind of condition. But think about that. Here he was, a spirit-filled preacher, and then he ends up owning a bar and serving drinks. I've thought about that many times on a Saturday night. You know, Saturday nights, pastors are praying and getting their message ready for Sunday and just waiting on God's spirit. And I know that man used to do this But then in his latter years on Saturday nights, he's serving drinks to alcoholics. He became an alcoholic himself before he died. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I don't care who you are, you start thinking the wrong thoughts, you can go the wrong way. The devil will take you step by step, but don't be fearful, just know, just say no. Say no to temptations. Say no to the flesh. Every one of us have flesh and our flesh is not redeemed. It's not, your spirit got born again, but your body didn't. It still has the same desires, the same appetites. It'll still want to do wrong. And you have to learn to say no to your flesh. And if you'll stop, if you'll start saying no at the suggestion, you'll never move beyond the suggestion to the acts you find somebody, a Christian, that's gotten involved in sin and engrossed and engrossed in sin and bondage in their life, it's because they started thinking the wrong things and then they started saying the wrong things, and the devil got a grip in their mind and in their soulish realm and, and brought havoc into their lives. It doesn't have to happen. It's really simple. Think on these things. Isn't that easy? Think on these things. And the peace of God will be with you. Amen. Amen. We don't have to fear the devil taking us over. He can't take you over. Right. Amen. Because you, you have the right to say, to speak, and, and, and to think on the things you want to think on. Amen. The problem is some Christians want to think on the wrong things. Well, we don't have to do that, do we? Amen. Amen. Well, I've gone on long enough. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. Glory to God. Quit laughing at me, Angela. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. We were glad we stuck around that night at the party. You, you remember Larry Hutton came here and ministered? He and his wife were at that party, and they used to travel with Brother Hagan. Were they in the team at that time? I think they had left, but but they'd went out in their own ministry. But before that, Larry and Liz, Larry... Uh, sang with Rama Singers and bands, So they were part of the crusade team and traveled all over the country with Brother Hagin. They were at that party that night, but they had an early flight the next morning. They had to leave like at five o'clock in the morning to catch their flight. So they left, you know, about nine o'clock to go to their hotel room and pack up and everything. What time was it when we got back to the hotel? About 4.30 in the morning. Because this thing, this thing went on for hours when Brother Hagin was off and, you know, just, uh, just called away in the spirit. And uh, we weren't about to leave. You know, we we're going to sit right there and just, you know, get in on everything. So about four o'clock, we left. You know, we got back to the hotel about 4.30. We were driving up as the Hutton's were coming out. And they looked at us and said, where have you been? Where have you been? Do not tell me. he said, you missed it. I said, oh. Because they had been around Brother Hagen enough to know that, you know, you don't leave until the prophet leaves. And uh, so, you know, that was quite an experience, but uh, it it illustrates things. Some of these things bring some, some enlightenment to us, doesn't it? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. God's good. Amen. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus said, I give unto you power and authority over all demons to cast them out. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Glory to God. We thank you for that, Father. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for our exalted position in Christ Jesus. We don't take pride in it. We're not arrogant about it because we know, Father, that everything we have has been given to us. And without you and without the Lord Jesus, we would be nothing and have nothing. And so, Father, all of our dependence is on you. All of our trust is upon you and in you. And we thank you, Father, that you have graced us and blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in union with Christ. We thank you for that tonight, Father. Glory to God. 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 Hallelujah. Give heed to the Spirit. Give heed to those promptings that come up from the inside of you, those leadings that arise from deep within. And you know the difference from that that comes from your mind and that that comes up from the depths of your inner man. When those promptings and those leadings come up from the inside, learn to yield, to act, Don't get over in the natural, begin to reason in your natural mind, but simply act on the promptings of the spirit. For this is the way I take you from glory to glory. This is how I bring about your will in my life, not by explaining things to your mind, but leading you in your spirit. And I expect my own, those who are born of my spirit and who live by the spirit, I expect my own to follow the way of the spirit. For many times you've asked me, you've said, Lord, show me what to do. Lead me, guide me. But if you would be honest with yourself, how many times have there been when you've sensed direction in your spirit, just that gentle prompting that inward witness of my spirit with your spirit and you turned aside and went a different way because you reasoned yourself out of obeying. You won't have to ask me, Lord, direct me. Lord, give me instructions so much if you'll get in the habit of just following the instructions I do give. Without... Reasoning without doubting, because that's what that is. That's a form of doubt. Reasoning in your mind. Should I do this or shouldn't I do that? What shall I do? No, just obey me, says the Lord, and you will learn my ways. You're not going to learn my ways by not practicing them. You're gonna learn my ways by Yielding to them Walking in my ways Obeying my spirit And becoming proficient And skillful In listening and following me And then many things that you seek And you say, Lord, I don't know what to do I don't know where to go I don't know what to say I don't know what what is next You will have developed a habit Of just looking to the inward man Expecting direction in the ordinary things of life, expecting the witness of the Spirit, and you'll grow up in those things, and my will and my plan for your life will not be a mystery to you, it'll be an open book to you, and you'll know the way to go just as sure as you know the way to work in the morning, just as sure as you know the way to your own home, you'll know the steps that I have for you, says the Lord because I'm not keeping anything from you. I'm endeavoring to get it over to you, but you have to learn to receive it the way I give it. You have to learn to walk in the path that I lead you in because I'm not going to lead a different way. I'm not going to lead according to your natural reasoning or to the uh, the circumstances surrounding you. I'm gonna lead you in your spirit, so learn to follow that and you'll follow me into great and mighty things. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 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 For many are here and you've had direction and you've known for certain what you should do in that moment and in that hour. But you let it slip because you didn't act on it. And because of disobedience, you have strayed far from my path. Begin to worship me again. Begin to consecrate yourself to me again. And those things of old will rise up on the inside of you again because I never changed. my plan never changes. So begin to worship me. Consecrate yourself unto me, says the Lord. And you'll, you'll have on the inside of you a refreshing and a reviving of things that you once walked in and once understood and were real to you that have grown dim and distant. Those things will flourish again on the inside of you. And my plan for you again will arise on the inside. But this time obey, this time act, this time do what I impress you to do. And oh, how your life will be different and you'll grow and grow and grow beyond your wildest imaginations, says the Lord.